Hi, everyone, and welcome to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. I'm your host, Nia Mason, and I'm very excited as we continue in our month of gratitude to welcome my former teammate and friend, Dr. Alsha Strain. Alsha, as an obstetrician gynecologist in the state of Georgia, has been one of our heroes on the front lines of this pandemic, and with all of the implications it's had on our healthcare professionals as they've worked to navigate us through these unprecedented times, she is someone very worthy of celebrating in the Booster Club during Gratitude Month. We discussed with Alsha the obstacles around perfectionism she had placed in front of herself, and how she overcame them in order to become one of the top students in her graduating class at Morehouse School of Medicine. We talk about the importance of asking for help, even when it's difficult, and how sometimes our own mental blocks can be our own worst enemies if we let them. We learn a little bit about the medical disparities facing Black women, especially during pregnancy, and how Alsha has made it her mission to combat this racial disparity through constantly educating her patients, welcoming their questions, and educating her colleagues, even when it's not always comfortable. We learn about the newfound empathy Alsha has for her patients as she is now expecting her first child later this year. Right before learning that, no matter how far she tried to run away from her purpose, she was always going to wind up right where she belonged, proudly serving her community as Dr. Alsha Strain. Let's kick it off with diving into your profession. You're an obstetrician gynecologist, and later we'll get into all the misconceptions that come with your job title. But can you briefly elaborate on the role of an OBGYN? Yeah. So for my job, for the most part, the OB and the GYN are two separate things. Right now I'm in training. And so if you're on OB, you're catching babies, you're doing C-sections, you're going to the emergency room for any women who are having like car accident and they might happen to be pregnant And then any woman in the hospital who has a positive pregnancy test, regardless if her heart is failing or she has the measles, we are consulted. So I admit them too. On the GYN side, that's more surgical. And a lot of people don't realize how surgical we are, but we remove things like uterus, ovaries, anything that's female in the pelvis. We will operate on it, remove it, fix it, assess it, those kind of things. And then lastly, we have our clinic patients. And so those are the women that just their well woman exams or their prenatal visits, or if they're just having an issue, we see those women in the clinic. And so that's also my job. I think by the time we became teammates in college, I had an idea just by the classes that you were taking that I most definitely was not taking that you were thinking about (laughs) pursuing medicine, but I don't know if that idea was fully baked for you at the time. And then being a division one athlete isn't necessarily the easiest lifestyle for also being pre-med with all of the experiences you had through college, playing basketball, doing all the prereqs, taking the MCAT, what led you to know medicine was ultimately where you wanted to land? So for me, I think I had to have some experiences. And so I had an idea, you're right. Like in college, I wanted to, just in case I want to do this medicine thing, let me take the prereqs and the MCAT. But when the MCAT got hard, And, you know, I was enjoying finally for the first time being a real adult, not being on someone's schedule or time. This is kind of nice. Let me have a real job. So I worked in psych and I realized, oh, this is not for me. Not for you. And I wanted to be the person prescribing the medicines and I wanted to be the one doing the talking. I had to realize in every field that I went into, 
I wanted to be the one like that was either the leader or basically the doctor on the team. And so that's kind of solidified it for me. Which makes sense given your sports background and kind of you were like the anchor on our team. It makes sense that you felt like you wanted to be in a role where you were kind of the captain. Did you ever hit a point where you were like, look, enough is enough. I'm out of here. I want to start a band. I'm going to take up knitting. Did you ever hit a point where you wanted to be done on this path of becoming a doctor? Yes and no. I would do things to be like, oh, this is definitely going to get me towards being a doctor. So I'm going to apply for the border patrol. We were in San Diego. Of course I should apply for the border patrol because maybe I'll do some medical things. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, and I'll get military clearance. And so I can go shop on base. So this is a strategic move all the way around. (laughs) That didn't work out. I didn't didn't get accepted to the border patrol. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. I'll go to EMT school and drive an ambulance. I remember this. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's medical. That will definitely show, you know, that I'm medical. But in the meantime, so I took that class for like six months and I'm driving an ambulance and I pick up a woman that's 500 pounds. And this is before the beds were electric and the bed didn't lock and she fell like her feet fell. My side fell and I'm small. So I had to do a press. I hang clean the bed. I was like, I'm five, four. I shouldn't be hang cleaning people above my head. But I just realized everything I was doing was like around medical, but it was like me tiptoeing the line. I didn't want to cross. I didn't want to commit fully, but I was like, I'm going to do all these different things to procrastinate and seem like I'm doing it. And then just, I just need to go on and be a doctor. This is ridiculous. The universe was like, hey, Border Patrol, no. Hey, EMT, no. I even tried to be a nurse practitioner. And I was like, all right, God, I'm going to apply for nurse practitioner school. You know, this is a reputable field. I'll still be in medicine. I'll still be a leader. I have my own practice. But like, if I don't get into nurse practitioner school, then I'll for sure pursue medicine. That's you talking to me. Definitely got it. I got rejected from like five different schools. Go on, just be a doctor. (laughs) I can only imagine how difficult the field of medicine is, not just to get to the point where you're at now in your career, but even the things that you're currently dealing with as a doctor, add a pandemic on top of it. I'm sure it's not a walk in the park. Do you ever still occasionally find yourself in a headspace where you could leave it all and just do literally anything else? Yes, you'll find yourself in that headspace. And I would find myself in that headspace. Realistically, I have... $400,000 in debt. (laughs) Like that's the reality of it. So this is the only field that I can get that paid for by the government and people will pay me to come work there, that kind of thing. But on the other side, I do know that this is my calling. And like, I always think about my patients. If I wasn't there to help that person, or if I wasn't on the team to advocate for that patient, who would have done it? And what would her life have looked like if I wasn't around? And I know that selfishly, I cannot just not follow what I'm supposed to be doing. I alluded to this a little bit earlier. What do most people misunderstand about your role as an OBGYN? So in our role as an OBGYN, it's, oh, you just catch babies all day or, you know, it's just all the fun and life and happiness and women running around, but it's a lot harder than that, especially with the pandemic. So every day is not a happy day. There's really hard things. And so I think that's the first thing my family doesn't realize babies have died or babies deliver very, very early and they can't survive. And you have to tell women 
there's nothing I can do for you or your child. In regards to the surgical thing, my mom still is like, wait, so you cut people open? I'm like, how else am I supposed to get the baby out? (laughs) Yes. But I've been pulled into other things and people's like, this thing bled or that person had to get coded or they needed to get blood or I'll say these like very dangerous things or like very traumatic things. And she's like, you're okay with blood. (laughs) What? I am literally a surgeon. I have to cut people open, take things out. And we also operate with robots. And so that's again, something that most people don't realize. And so when I talk about what kind of surgeries I do and how I operate with a robot and these things, they're like, Oh, thought you're just catching babies all day. Yeah, just everything sunshine and rainbows and new babies new babies no not the case <laughs> what is this with the robots i would like to hear more about that so robotic surgery has been around for a while but for the gyn field it's on the newer side mm-hmm. so it's not like the robot is doing the surgery i control the robot but i'm sitting across the room so i put the robot arms into the patient physically i do it i cut the holes in the patient put the robot into the patient and then i i unscrub And I walk over to a console and I sit there and I do the surgery from the corner. Wow. It allows you, it's like I'm moving my hands like this. I have a wrist. My robot has a wrist. Whereas if I'm just using a stick to go inside of a person, like laparoscopic surgery is just like straight. They call it straight stick because you have straight sticks in your hand. There's no wrist. Patients have better outcomes. Like they're not in as much pain. They go home. Like we can literally take someone's uterus out and they go home the same day. Really? Yeah. It's impressive. It's like fibroids right now with women are just ridiculous. And so many women have fibroids and don't realize they have fibroids. And I'm like, you know, we could take those out with a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Switching gears into the personal side of things. I've had the pleasure of meeting your amazing wife and I love the way you two are as a family unit And with another one on the way. So congratulations. Oh, thanks. (laughs) It has to be difficult to carve out family time while in such a demanding profession. How do you work to make sure your family life remains in a positive space despite all of the demands on your time and your energy and your mental health? So that's been a battle. So my wife has been with me since before medical school. And so she knew me with free time. We were just living in San Diego, going to the beach And then we moved here and got serious. And so she knew from the beginning, like, this is going to be a sacrifice for her and for me. And so I think first off, like her mindset was what probably got us through is that she knew she was going to have to sacrifice her time with me and that kind of stuff. So I made an effort to like, okay, she's sacrificing, like supporting me. I'm at school till midnight studying and stuff. And so on the weekends, I made an effort to, Hey, this is like our time. And it's not always like, oh, let's do everything that you want to do, but it's like, let's spend quality time together. Let's make sure like, I'm not completely forgetting about her and her sacrifice. So that was one thing. And the other thing, leaving work at work, I'm half doing that. I call when I get off of work every day. So I'll be in the car, I'll call and just either I'm going off or I'm talking about my day. But when I get home, I'm done for the most part. I try. I had a guest in season one, Charlotte Marshall, and she had about 27 different jobs, but one of them was she performed as a doula when requested. Yeah. And one thing that we touched on were the disparities in medical treatment that plague the black community, especially Mm -hmm. black women. And I remember I even texted you before my last doctor's visit and was like, what should I answer if they ask me this? I would love to hear your thoughts on these disparities and how they show up and how you navigate it all, both as a doctor and as a black woman. 
that's funny you say that. that's my research. And so I came from San Diego, predominantly white institution and went to Morehouse School of Medicine, which is a historically black college and never even heard of historically black colleges, really. And I learned about all these disparities and I learned about advocating for people. And I just learned about socioeconomics. Like I just learned so many things. And so it really stuck with me. I always had that advocacy behind me. So for instance, Georgia is number one in maternal mortality. Wow. We are number one and we have all these successful black people. This is black excellence, but we're number one in maternal death. And then babies here are more likely to be premature. You already know it's because of your race. And then race is just a skin color. So it was like, this doesn't make sense. If there's no genetic component to race, how is this happening? Yeah. And there's only one thing it points to. It's what you see and what others are seeing. And so that hit me really hard. My research is an implicit bias and just the things that we're doing subconsciously that we don't know that are affecting our behavior. I'm all about like not really calling you out, but like putting it in your face and not really sugarcoating it. It's like, this is what it is. And this is how it shows up in our everyday life. So I have a lecture series. It's about eight sessions long and it's like YouTube videos. Some are funny, some are not. And then there's exercises you take home and then we talk about them as a group. And if you're comfortable, you can message me on the side, that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm doing. Now we've taken it across all the specialties in my hospital. And so we do it as a multidisciplinary group. We just had our first one with internal medicine, emergency medicine, family medicine, and OB. We all got together and just had this great dialogue about implicit bias and how it shows up in our work lives and how we check our own biases and how we might have to check somebody else. If we notice that they say something a little off color in regards to my patients, I'm always educating as to why. So if I'm bringing up your diet and your weight gain in pregnancy, we all know we shouldn't gain tons of weight in pregnancy because babies are big, but then it's also like, wait, no, your baby can die. And it's not for any reason other than the fact that we don't know why And people won't tell you this, that you're just thinking they're shaming you. It's like, no, no, I'm concerned because babies just die when moms gain too much weight. We don't know why. And so let's talk about the different health things that we can do. That kind of stuff, I feel like it's a small step to reducing disparities and just talking to people and really providing the education and the why. My next question is going to be, what responsibility do you feel you have to changing this climate of disparity? But it sounds like you're already on your way. Yeah. And I think another thing is, you know me, I don't hold my tongue. If something is wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong, regardless if it's going to get me in trouble. And it has got me in trouble. But (laughs) I do feel like you can make a huge impact because people know you, if people know you care. I think you remember me saying that when we were playing basketball, it was like, I care about this team and I care about you. That's why I'm calling you on this right now. Like you got to get this together. And so I do the same thing kind of with my attendings, which doesn't go over well Mm because they may or may not be old white guys who are stuck in their ways, but you're not about to call him her baby daddy. Like that is her husband. They are married. He might be the father of her child. Yes. (laughs) Not might. He is hopefully, but no, just calling out small stuff like that. I'm like, Hey, you know, it's kind of offensive. And you perpetuating things like that to the younger generations. That's why we have these disparities. Like it's funny, haha, but no, this isn't the good old boys club anymore. And the fact that you even said that certain things that people are okay to say around me, that lets me know how comfortable you are in your ways. And it's like, how are you treating my patients? Okay. 
like I just said, we're in our month of gratitude here in the Booster Club. And as a medical professional working on the front lines in the face of a pandemic, it's been such an honor to have you on today, hear your story. With all of that said, when you think back, have there been any positive aspects of your career that the pandemic has illuminated for you? Most positive thing I would say is that our women are young and healthy. And that's something that we already knew. But with the pandemic, we have not had to deal with as much. So when it got really bad, my friends in other specialties were having a death a day. And if they didn't have a death a day, it was like a good day. Really? Yeah. And it was just like, uh, and multiple deaths was normal, but at least one person would die a day. You know, if they didn't have a death, they were like, no one died today. It sounds very jaded, but it was just like, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you that no one died today, but I didn't have to deal with that stuff. Yeah. On the OBGYN side, you had primarily healthy patients. Yes. But when they got sick with COVID, they really got sick. And that's when it got really scary. And so I just was thankful that my patients for the most part are healthy young women. What moments of gratitude have you been able to pull out of these 18 to 24 months amid COVID? For me, I've been thankful that no one in my family or close to me has passed away from this virus. We've all been blessed just to stay healthy. It has sucked that we haven't been able to see each other because most of my family is on the West Coast, but we've been healthy. So I think that's all we're kind of just holding on to. Being able to get my COVID vaccine and then get pregnant. So now I, I feel protected. I feel more confident at work and I'm pregnant. And so the child will get some of the antibodies too. So that's been pretty cool. And then I would say the last thing is just, I think I was telling you earlier, but I knew in the book what was supposed to happen in pregnancy. I know the signs and symptoms. I know how to counsel to them, but my patients would always go, do you have children? And I'd be like, nope. And you could see their faces kind of like, oh, okay. So it was almost like they respected what I had to say, but they're like, you haven't even been here, but now living it, I'm like, I get it now. My counseling is still pretty much the same, but now I can say from a perspective of, oh yeah, my back is killing me. The stretches really do work. The empathy that I'm gaining is wonderful. Oh, it takes you to a whole different level, I'm sure, of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And a male physician can never, like no matter how much they would want to, they'll never know. And so I think that's a huge difference. Those are great moments of gratitude in a not so great past couple of years. Before I let you go, we have our booster up segment. No pressure. No. (laughs) Okay. Question one, what is a significant low you faced on your journey and how did you make it through? So for me, I would say a significant low, I had a series of failures, but you know, they were just small stuff. So the MCAT is a four to six hour test that you take. I had to take it two times, study on my own and just could not get the score. I realized I needed help. So I applied for a post-baccalaureate program and it's one to two years. You get a master's degree, but they teach you how to learn in sciences. I never really learned how to learn. Mm -hmm. I just got by with basketball. I didn't get tutors. Because our tutor was like, I can't tutor you in O-Chem, like organic chemistry. (laughs) She's like, do you have English that you need help with? (laughs) No, (laughs) don't have English. Um, And so (laughs) I remember just being on the plane by myself, just trying to knock out some chemistry. Like we didn't have resources like that. So 
I never really learned. I just got by. And so when it came time to learn, I realized I needed help. So I got into this post-bac program, you know, and just took off once I had the help and like really accepted that I needed help. So I graduated in a year, which is accelerated. It really takes two years to fully grasp, but they were like, no, you're doing great. So I graduated in a year, got into med school and it was like, boom, failures again. And I didn't just fail. Like I was like, I'm about to fail out of med school. Like I'm going to have to repeat this year. And it was just like, how is this happening again? That it seemed like everything was just working out and I was on the right track. And then I realized again, that I had went into that old pattern of just being on my own. Like, Oh, I got this. Like, I don't need to ask for help. I can do this. I clearly showed that I could do it. I got out in one year that was a huge letdown for me. And I realized I needed to ask help. I went to counseling and she helped me to realize like I had this kind of perfectionist fantasy going on of thinking I could do it on my own. And all I had to do was work harder. She's like, no, that's not the case. Like you are working so hard that you're missing the point. The point is to get the answers right on the test, not to learn everything. You got to pass the test. Right. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you got to get the answers right. I said, yeah. Do you need to memorize the whole book? to get the answers right. It was like, no, probably not. (laughs) (sighs) So I had to learn that and just really get out of my own way. And one of my coworkers now, she's three years under me. When she heard me speak one time about OB and the fact that like to be an OB, you're a surgeon. So you really do need to have the top scores. I did not have the top scores and I failed. And that's what I spoke to when I spoke to her group. And I didn't know it, but she didn't have the top scores and she had failed a couple of times on some things. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, well, dang, if she could be an OB, then I really want to be an OB. And she said she had given up on being an OB because she knew her scores just weren't there. She was just inspired by that. And so she kind of followed in my footsteps, went to the same program, used her dazzling personality and got the position despite her grades. And she's an amazing physician. I like that you gained all that from that particular low point. How about a significant high along your journey and what growth was required of you to reach that particular high? I would say a particular high for me was becoming an OBGYN. I always said I would never do OBGYN. That's too many women. I would never be in a specialty with that many women until I went to general surgery after my OBGYN rotation. I was like, oh my God, these men, this is so difficult. <laughs> I am not a fan. I missed that camaraderie of all the women. And so I realized I wanted to be a surgeon and work with women. And I set my goal on that, but I knew my scores just weren't high enough. And so I had to do a lot more interviewing with people and really just showing off my personality and just showing, I don't just want to be an OBGYN. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Women's health, advocacy, medical disparities, doing all of that. And like, eventually I want a holistic practice to combine it all together to take care of the whole person. I was like, this is who I'm supposed to be. And I think people kind of felt that through my interviewing and through my excitement. And so that was a huge high for me, but I think that I had to first accept, I already talked about my failures and things like that, but I had to accept, I don't have the best test scores and I still struggle sometimes with testing because of mental blocks that I have put in my own way. Mm -hmm. But just realizing like, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I am exactly who I'm supposed to be. If I fail, it's because I needed to learn that lesson and I know I'm going to succeed. And I could always tell myself in med school, I'm going to be a doctor. Now I'm a doctor, but I still tell myself I am going to be an OBGYN and advocate for women. 
and help solve these medical disparities. And at least my patients are going to have the education and be able to move forward. That's a beautiful high. And that's a perfect way to end. Is there anything you want to say before I let you go? One thing that I always say, especially to black women, the smile on your patient's face when they see that you are a black woman and you are their doctor and they will quickly claim you, you are my doctor. That is something that you really need to hold on to. So if you're thinking about medicine and you're discouraged because of sciences, trust and believe you do not use the sciences. Just pass the class. (laughs) The MCAT, you will never see that information again. Pass the class, pass the (laughs) test. And that's what I will say. Like, don't let anybody discourage you. Don't put your, like, I can't do that. I'm just going to go do this or I'm going to go do that. No, move forward in it and know that these are roadblocks that are put in place on purpose to keep certain people out. Do not let them keep you out because your patients need you. Thank you for listening to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. We are very proud of Alsha and everything she's accomplishing and looking to accomplish within the medical field, and we'll be closely following along as she continues to advance in her career. To make sure you don't miss a beat and are also tuned into what our other boosters across seasons one and two are up to, feel free to give us a follow at Boost Her Podcast, all one word. We're nearing the end of Gratitude Month and hope you've been enjoying it just as much as we have. Be sure to tune in next week for its conclusion as we highlight another boost her in a profession for which we are excited and proud to show our gratitude. Again, thank you for listening to Boost Her, where we will happily pull up a seat at the table for you as a reminder that while individually we may be great, collectively we are magic. <laughs>